0: Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Fish the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. Spring training is coming to an end everyone. We're down to our final week of Grapefruit League games and the 2023 regular season is less than 10 days away. As we prepare for this home stretch of spring, there are three big picture talking points I'm paying attention to with the Marlins as we get through these final five or so days. First and foremost. Yuli Gurriel and Jose Iglesias, and the Marlins' potential looming decision on the two. The veteran infielders, as you may remember, signed minor league deals with the club on March 10th and are able to opt out of those deals on Saturday, five days before opening day, if they're not added to Miami's 40-man roster. Now, just as a heads up on that, this is standard procedure. MLB's collective bargaining agreement says that any player who entered the offseason as what's called an Article 20B free agent, which is basically a fancy way of saying any MLB player who has at least six years of service time and finished the previous season either on a big league roster or on the injured list and signed a minor league deal during the offseason will have three mandatory opt-out dates included in his contract. Those three days are five days before the start of the season, in this case March 25th, also known as Saturday, May 1st and June 1st, both Gurriel and Iglesias fit this, this description. And even though the Marlins 40 man roster is currently full, Miami is in a situation where it can easily add both players with no issue when the time comes, because they have a couple guys who are going to start the season on the 60 day IL. Those are Max Meyer, who is recovering from Tommy John surgery and Nick Enright, their rule five selection back in December, who was undergoing treatment for Hodgkin's lymphoma. He has his next round of treatments in, I believe it's July. So he's not going to be seeing game action until after that. So they're going to have those two on the 60-day IL. And they've already selected the contract of one of their non-roster invitees in Gary Hampson, who is a utility guy, second short center field. And he had an out clause in his contract that was, I believe, either the 15th or the 16th. So they already took care of that. And they got him on the roster by placing Anthony Bender, who's also recovering from Tommy John surgery, by putting Bender on the 60 day IL. Now, Hampson being on the 40 man doesn't mean he's going to be on the opening day roster, just to make that clear. He has a minor league option remaining, so the Marlins could still theoretically start him in AAA Jacksonville. As for the two guys at hand, Guriel and Iglesias, Julie Guriel is all but a formality at this point. Uh, Miami needs the second first baseman to go along with Garrett Cooper because without Gurriel, Marlins' only two internal options on the 40-man are Gerard Encarnacion and Jordan Groschens. Gerard Encarnacion is a natural outfielder, primarily right fielder. Jordan Groschens is a primary third baseman who just started getting first base reps during this spring training. Gerard has had experience in big le- in minor league games over the last two years. He's been repping it. He is the more developed of the two at first base, but both of those guys, it would be a best case scenario for both them to start in the minor leagues. The Marlins have already optioned Gerard and Carnasi on the AAA. So it's best for both of them to get those reps down there get the everyday reps instead of being a backup riding the bench for a position that is not their natural position. Instead, in lieu of getting everyday bats in the minor leagues and then being ready to go when they're needed, Iglesias' situation isn't as cut, cut and dry as Gurriel's, but he still makes sense logically to make the roster, primarily because it gives them another high contact, low strikeout bat to go with Yuli Gurriel, with Gene Segura, with Joey Wendell, with Luis Arias to complement the power hitters in that lineup. And he would also logically be able to split time at shortstop with Joey Wendell. Joey's a lefty. Joey Wendell's a lefty. Jose Iglesias is a righty. The two of them would make sense to do that. And again, this would be Wendell's first full year playing shortstop as as the regular everyday guy. He's always been that utility guy, second, short, third, a little bit of left field during his time with the Rays. The Marlins said that they want him playing shortstop every day. So if you have another guy who can spell him and the two of them can rotate around, it only helps. Speaking of shortstop and really just the infield together, the second point that I'm really paying attention to over this final week is seeing how, seeing the defense as it gets its reps together, and I'm primarily talking about the infield here because the Marlins had two of their main guys, uh, third baseman Gene Segura and second baseman Luis Arrayas. They were both gone from camp for about a week because of the World Baseball Classic. Gene Segura with the Dominican Republic who got eliminated in the first round uh, at the end of pool play. Luis Ariz, who was with Venezuela and was which was knocked out during the quarterfinals, and both of them are now back in camp. They have one week left until the season until spring training ends, and frankly, it's crunch time because Miami's primary second short third combo of Ariz Wendell Segura. They played just two games and ten innings together before Ariz and Segura left for the World Baseball Classic. They played six innings together on Monday camp breaks on Sunday. The season starts four days after that. The trio really needs as much time as possible in live game situations to get a feel for each other's tendencies in the field. How Wendell and Arias are with double plays on either side of the second base bag. How Segura is with just developing a third. It's a position he hasn't played much, only 24 games in the big leagues over his 11 year career. Uh, Arias really needing to play second after primarily playing first last year and just getting comfortable there again. It's going to be very interesting to see how much they realistically are able to get that bond, get that chemistry, get that camaraderie in such a short amount of time. And if they ultimately have enough time before the season starts to start gelling and start getting in that groove that they need to get in. And then last but not least, position battles. Should Guriel and Iglesias both make the opening day roster and health is not a non-factor, everybody who is expected to make the roster makes the roster, it would really leave one position player roster spot left for either Jesus Sanchez or Brian De La Cruz to complete Miami's outfield group that would include Jez Chisholm Jr. in center field and Avisel Garcia and Jorge Soler in the corners. Uh Jesus Sanchez or Brian De La Cruz, they would, be another person for those corners and would basically rotate with Avicel Garcia and Jorge Soler between left field, right field, DH, the three of them moving around in those three spots. Cooper get Garrett Cooper for at first base would also most likely get some DH reps. Yuli Gurriel could possibly get some in there, but it would most like most of the time be lit be congested to Avicel Garcia, Jorge Soler, and whoever of Jesus Sanchez Brian Dale Cruz makes the roster. And logically speaking, Jesus Sanchez seems to be the guy who would make the roster over Brian Dale Cruz for a couple of reasons. The first and probably the most important, he's out of the minor league options. So if Jesus Sanchez isn't on the opening day roster, he either has to be traded or he has to be designated for assignment and clear waivers stay in the organization. Miami can't just send him down to AAA. Brian Dale Cruz still has minor league options. So they have a little more flexibility with him. Second, Sanchez gives the Marlins another left-handed hitter. The only other lefties slated to be on the roster are Jazz Chisholm, Junior, Joey Wendell, and Luis Rice. Having four among their 13 is a lot better than having three among their 13, especially when those three are expected to play basically every day. And if you're down to only righties on your bench, being able to try to play those matchups, it hinders you a little bit. And then elsewhere, the Marlins still have four spots in their own Marlins have four spots in their rotation and six of their eight spots in their bullpen seemingly locked the rotation spots, Sandy Alcantara, Johnny Cueto, Trevor Rogers, and Jesus Lazardo seem to be set in stone. That fifth spot's going to likely come down to either Edward Cabrera or Braxton Gary. The two of them have been pitching on the same day, either one starting on the big league field and one going down to minor league games or the two of them piggybacking. And just based off the pure stuff, Braxton uh, Edward Cabrera seems to have the nod over Braxton Gary it just again when you have a fastball that hits and hits the upper 90s you have a, ch- a swing and miss change up the night that hits 92 and you have a slider and a curveball that are developing and are good breaking ball pitches it just his stuff has the edge over Braxton Gary Braxton Gary had a fantastic year in 2022 he's more than serviceable and more than capable of being one of those back-end guys and most likely is going to get see some time in the big leagues because you never see a team only use five starters throughout a season. So Braxton Gary will see his time, but I would just, my gut says it's going to be Edward Cabrera. And as for the bullpen, the six spots that seem to be secure. The three uh three righties in Matt Barnes, Dylan Floro, and JT Chargois, and three lefties in Tanner Scott, AJ Puck, Steven Okert. As for the final two spots. Oscar Brazaban seems to have the inside track. Andrew Nardi has had a good good camp. If the team wants a long reliever, Daniel Castano or Brian Holling would be logical options. Although neither of those two, Costano or Holling, are on the 40 man roster. So the Marlins would need to make another 40 man move. Uh, Tommy Nance, who isn't throwing while dealing with a right shoulder injury, could be a potential 60 day IL if the Marlins want to go that route to add a long reliever to the 40 man roster so they can have someone for opening day. We'll see all that, all that works out. It's all going to be settled over the next week. And we're going to circle back to all of this on the next episode of fish bites, which is going to be our season preview episode. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a lot of information, a lot of breaking down the team itself, the division and just expectations for 2023 as a whole until then. The World Baseball Classic Championship is set. The United States and Japan play at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night at Miami's Lone Depot Park for the tournament title. Team USA is looking to repeat as champions after winning it all in 2017. Japan is looking for its third title over the five tournaments after winning the first two in 2006 and 2009. It's going to be a fantastic matchup. U uh, Darvish on the mound for Japan. Merrill Kelly on the mound for Team USA. Shohei Otani versus Mike Trout. Uh, Just all the different storylines going into this. Japan is a perfect 6-0 in the tournament. It's outscored opponents 53-16 over its six games. Ran the table in Pool B against Australia, Korea, the Czech Republic, and China. Beat Italy 9-3 in the quarters and just had a raucous walk-off win against Mexico 6-5 in the semifinal on Monday. Team USA... Had to rally after losing to Mexico in pool play to finish his runner up in its pool to make it to the quarters. It after that loss to Mexico beat Canada 12 to one, beat Colombia three to two to get to the quarters. Trey Turner with a go-ahead grand slam in the quarterfinals to lead the US to a nine-seven win over Venezuela. And then the United States just routed Cuba 14 to 12, 14 to 2 in the semifinals to get back to the championship for the second year in a row. Uh, as mentioned before, Merrill Kelly in line to start for the United States. Uh, Kelly entering his fifth MLB season with the Diamondbacks. He started U.S.'s pool play finale against Columbia, three innings, two runs in that game. Darvish, a 10 year MLB veteran, he's pitching two games so far. And both rosters are just absolutely stacked. I mean, you look at the USA lineup, it's outfield, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, and Kyle Schwarber with Kyle Tucker and Cedric Mullins coming in off the bench. An infield of Paul Goldschmidt, Tim Anderson, Trey Turner, and Nolan Arenado with Bobby Wood Jr., Pete Alonzo, and Jeff McNeil also options. JT RealMuto and Will Smith catching uh, with Kelly starting. And then uh, Adam Wainwright and Miles Mikolas each pitching four innings in that semifinal against Cuba. Uh, look to Brady Singer as a possible piggyback option out of the bullpen if Kelly ends up having a short outing and they need some length. And the U.S. has basically the rest of its bullpen available, including its high leverage guys, Devin Williams, Ryan Presley, and Adam Alavino. They are rested and ready to go and trying to defend the title with a team that's even more stacked than the group that won it all in 2017. And as for Team Japan, I mean, how do we start this without talking Shohei Otani? He's the obvious big name of this group. He's taken MLB by storm as one of the top, the league's top hitters and top pitchers. His two way game is absolutely fantastic. But Masataka Yoshida and Munitaka Murakami, two stars in their own right. Yoshida hit a game time three run home run in the seventh inning of that semifinal against Mexico after they were shut out for six innings he has 13 rbi throughout the his first six games in the world baseball classic the most rbi in a single world baseball classic tournament murakami last year he had 15 56 home runs in the nippon professional baseball league which broke the league's record for most home runs by a japanese born player in a season and he's the reason that they that japan is heading to the championship hit a walk-off double in the bottom of the ninth after Shohei Ohtani hit a double and they got another a walk to get runners on first and second. Uh, Japan also has Lars Nupar from the St. Louis Cardinals, who is the first player who was not born in Japan to represent team Japan in the world baseball classic. And on the pitching front, in addition to Ohtani 20 year old, Rosie Sasaki and his near 102 miles per hour fastball. He's been a sensation. He was so much fun to watch in the semifinal, even after he got hit hit for that three-run home run by Luis Arias that gave Mexico an early lead. Uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto was also stellar in the tournament. The trio of, of Otani, Sasaki, and Yamamoto, 33 strikeouts, just five walks over 23 and two-thirds innings, an absolutely dominant one, two, three punch there. Yu Darvish obviously starting on Tuesday, but... Japan has not ruled out Otani potentially pitching at some point in the championship. And if it if he does, oh boy, that's gonna be exciting. It's gonna be a great final, gonna be a great cap to an overall incredible tournament. And the bulk of it held at Miami's Lone Depot Park. It had that its pool that had a great group between the with the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, and Venezuela, Israel, Nicaragua also in that group. And then hosting the two quarterfinal games, both of the semis and now the championship game. A lot of fun. It's great to see what an atmosphere looks like at that ballpark when it's completely full with raucous fans and exciting. Will the Marlins be able to translate any semblance of that to the regular season? Obviously, that would be the ultimate dream for the franchise to be able to have even half or two thirds of what those crowds have been on a regular basis. If the Marlins are able to do that and find a way to replicate some of that excitement during the season, it would be a win-win for the Marlins. This, the world baseball classic is obviously a great first step and it's just the the first and it won't be the last of the big events that'll be held at Lone Devil park. They're holding, they're hosting the Caribbean series next year. And obviously they will be a venue for bigger events, most likely continue to be a staple in the world baseball classic down the road. And overall, again, just a really, really fun two weeks, two and a half weeks that this tournament has provided and giving just a little bit of energy during spring training as things ramp up before the 2023 season, And with that, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Fish Bites. I'm Jordan McPherson. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll be back next week.